Have the events of life ever been so dramatic to you that you lost your bearings? Have you ever experienced disappointments and failures to the degree that you wonder what's next? Has your hope ever faded away? That's the way I felt after that first Easter morning, disoriented, wondering what was next for me. Don't get me wrong, it was, it was a great day to know that Jesus had risen from the dead, that, that death had not defeated him, was great. Of course it wouldn't. He was the Christ, the Messiah. And so for him to have victory over death was good news. It was a relief. It, it filled our hearts with joy. It, it, it began to heal our grief after watching him die. But at the end of the day, I still wondered what it meant for me. At the end of the day, I still wondered what was next for someone like me who had so many failures. I, I'm sorry I haven't introduced myself. My, my parents named me Simon. But Jesus gave me a nickname, Peter, the rock. At first I embraced that name. It, it, it seemed like Jesus had seen in me something that others could not see. And so I lived with that nickname for a while but now it feels like sarcasm. The rock, really? More like sifting sand. My journey with Jesus started in an incredible way. I, I still remember the day. <clears throat> My companions and I, we, we were fishermen. That was what we did for a living. And, and so we went out one night and, and we did our usual thing. We, we took our boats out on the lake and, and we started fishing. We cast our nets and, and nothing came up. So we, we moved to a different part of the lake and, and nothing came up. And so we said, well, maybe it just needs to get cooler and later. And as we waited and thought for sure we would catch something, we, we cast our net again and caught nothing over and over again. We kept casting our net unsuccessfully. By morning time, we were beat, we were sore, we were tired, and, and we pulled our boats on the shore and began to clean our nets. And while we were doing that, Jesus showed up. And there were people listening to him. He began to teach them that morning, that early morning, they had come to listen to him, and the crowd got larger and larger, and, and I was listening as I was cleaning my nets, and there was something about him that really caught my attention. And then Jesus stepped into my boat. Can I just tell you that when Jesus steps into your boat, nothing will ever be the same? And he asked me to pull a little away from shore and he sat down and taught the crowd from there. It was like the perfect amphitheater. And as tired as I was, as sleepy as I felt, I, I was just mesmerized by what he was saying. He taught with authority and, 
and, and there was something in him that was tender and touching. He was not like the other rabbis. And I want to just keep listening. And then when Jesus finished teaching the crowds, he, he told me, take your boat deeper into the lake and cast your net for a catch. <laughs> he was pretty good at what he did. He taught God's law, but I'm the fisherman and I've been fishing all night and hadn't caught anything. Casting the net again would be useless. So I informed him. I've been, we've been fishing all night, but we haven't caught anything. It didn't seem to phase him. He looked at me with this piercing look. And I said, but if you say so. And just to please him, we cast the net. And almost as soon as we did, the, the net was filled with fish. It started to give. It started to tear. Our ship was sinking. And I knew in that moment, this was a miracle. I'm a professional fisherman. I know when the fish are showing up or, or not. I know that the fish come in the cool of the night, not in the morning. And I realized that this man was not just another rabbi. He seemed to have a special connection with the Holy One of Israel. And suddenly there was this sense of guilt and shame that came over me. The awareness of my own sinfulness and his otherness. So in a reverent kind of respectful way, I, I told him I couldn't be close to him. For I was a sinful man. And he comforted me. And he said, you think this is a good catch? From now on, I'm going to make you a fisher of people. A fisher of people. I have no idea what that means. But it sounded good. And this teaching of Jesus resonated in my heart. And it touched the deepest part of my soul in such a way that I felt compelled to leave everything and follow him. Not just for the day, but wherever he went, I wanted to go. I wanted to hear. I wanted to teach. He invited me to do so. It was a unique opportunity for a fisherman like me. Rabbis didn't come to the Sea of Galilee to look for students. But this one did. And I knew this was the opportunity of a lifetime, so I took it. I followed him. And for the next three years, I had the adventure of a lifetime. I watched him as he took a few loaves and fish and and he prayed over them and he fed a crowd over 5,000 people. I watched him as he healed the sick with compassion. He would touch them and he would make the blind to see and the lame to walk. I watched him as he spoke to the demons that were oppressing people and the demons left them. I heard his teachings. I heard him confront the Pharisees. Oh man, that felt good. Somebody needed to teach those self-righteous guys something. I was there when he spoke to the dead and they came alive. In fact, I was there in the midst of the storm and Jesus spoke to the winds and the waters and they listened to him. It was an incredible time and Jesus sent us out to do this kind of kingdom work. He sent us out, fishermen, uneducated, 
rugged guys like me who had a past, we went to the villages in his authority and we did the things that he did. And it was so incredible. It was the adventure of a lifetime to see the kingdom of God moving, to see the sick healed, to see the, the hungry fed, to see the oppressed being liberated, to see the powers that be challenged. We knew there was something special about him and about the time that we were in. And there was this growing anticipation among us. There were others of us that were following this rabbi. And we said, something good's gonna happen. Something is coming that is bigger than this. We, we long for, for the establishment of the kingdom of God on earth, for, for, for us to be out of the oppression of the Romans. And as things were building up, we were excited. And I thought, I love this guy. There is nothing I wouldn't do for him. If he ever, if he ever gets in trouble, I'm gonna have his back. And then one night, as we were in Jerusalem for the Passover, we were having the Passover supper. It was a different kind of night. Jesus said some things that I didn't understand at the moment. I kind of put them out of my mind because they were too enigmatic for me. He took bread and he broke it and he took the cup and did the usual Passover things, but in a different way. And then he said something. He said, this night, all of you, and he looked at all of us that were around the table, this night, all of you will fall. I said, no way. We're the ones that left everything to follow him. We've left our professions. We've left family behind. We've left our hometowns behind to follow him. We've seen the power of God at work. How could we ever leave him? And I said, you know, I can't answer for them, but, but I turned to Jesus and said, look, even if all these leave you, I will never leave you. I'm Peter, the rock, no wimp. Jesus turned to me and he said, tonight, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Surely Jesus was mistaken. Me? Disowned him? The best thing that ever happened to my life? Maybe, maybe he meant Thomas. Maybe it was James or John, the sons of thunder. Maybe it was Judas, but not me. So I proceeded to tell Jesus, Jesus, even if I have to die for you, I will never disown you. After we finished eating, Jesus led us to a garden. He wanted to pray. We were tired. It had been a long day. Our stomachs were full and we were sleepy. Jesus was praying intently. There was something strange in the air. I couldn't really tell what it was, but I was tired. I fell asleep. Jesus would keep praying. He would come and wake us up and, and we'd fall back asleep and he'd keep praying. And finally he came and he woke us up one last time and he said, my time has come. Judas had left us earlier 
And as soon as Jesus said those words, there was this crowd of people that came with swords and, and torches and, and clubs. The, the night was dark and, and you couldn't really see the faces, but I, I, I could tell that Judas was among them. Judas came close to Jesus in his regular way of greeting and, and he kissed him like you kiss a rabbi. And he said, rabbi. But it was a hypocritical greeting. That was the signal he gave the people to let them know who Jesus was in that dark garden. They came and they arrested him. And I became angry that they were doing that to my friend, my rabbi, my master. And then fear filled my heart. I wanted to retaliate, but, but I calculated that we were outnumbered. I turned and most of the disciples had fled. They took Jesus to the house of the high priest, the Jewish high priest. And I followed from a distance. I didn't get too close. I didn't want to get arrested. But I wanted to see where they were taking Jesus. I wanted to see what would happen to him. My heart was beating so fast with fear. We got to the high priest's home in the courtyard. There was a fire. And there were all kinds of people gathered around the fire watching and waiting to see what would happen to Jesus. I could see Jesus at a distance. And I figured I would blend in with this crowd. That way I could keep an eye on Jesus but not get in trouble, not get identified with him. And as we were warming ourselves by the fire, a girl said, he was with him, pointing to me. I said, no way, I don't know him. And we stayed there and there were all kinds of questions going through my mind. Why, why did Judas do this? Why did Jesus allow this to happen? Things were about to get better. Why didn't Jesus use all the powers that he had to, to, to cast out demons and to calm the storm and to feed the hungry, to, to liberate himself from these Jewish religious leaders that were oppressing him? And as I was thinking about that, someone said, this man was with him. And I said, what are you talking about? I don't know who he is. And I started getting angry that people were meddling and scared that they might figure out that I was one of his closest companions. As the night went on, I looked in Jesus' direction and I could tell things were not going to go well. And I began to get dismayed and discouraged and wondered what was going on. And then as I was having conversations with people around the fire, someone said, hey, he talks like them. He's a Galilean. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know this Jesus. And as soon as I said that, the rooster crowed. I looked in Jesus' direction, realizing what had just happened, and he looked back at me. And he's looked, pierced my heart. 
I had disowned him. The one I swore that I would be loyal to, the one I loved in the most critical moment of his life, I disowned him. I failed miserably when it really mattered. I went outside and I wept bitterly. It was the saddest night of my life. I had let down the one who who had called me, who had given me an opportunity, who, who had given me purpose, who had given me direction. And the events of the rest of that weekend were, were just as filled with emotion. I watched as they put a crown of thorns on his head, as they mocked him and spit on him, as he received lashes on his back, and he carried the cross. This, this one who had done wrong to no one, who, who had healed and blessed and fed, who was a good man, and they crucified him, torturing him. He died, and he was buried. And on the first day of the week, the women went to the tomb. They found a stone had been rolled away and the tomb was empty. They came to, to John and me and they said, we, we went to, to the tomb where Jesus had, had been laying and, and it's empty. Someone has taken away his body and I thought, what could go worse? So John and I ran to the tomb. John ran faster than me, but when he got to the tomb, he stopped before going in. I went right in and sure enough, the tomb was empty. The linens that had wrapped Jesus' body were laid there. The, the cloth that had been wrapped around his head was, was there. It was strange. Who could have taken his body? And why would they have done such a thing? That night, we were all behind closed doors. We locked the door. We were afraid because they thought we thought, we're next. They're going to come for us. It's just a matter of time. And as we were gathered around the table having supper, right in the middle, Jesus appeared. It was him, we could recognize him, but there was something different about him. We could see the scars on his hands. He, he took the bread and, and he blessed it and broke it and took the fish and we ate and we realized he is risen. He resurrected from the dead. What a glorious thing. What an incredible news it was to know that Jesus was alive. And yet, I knew that for me, things could never be the same again. I knew that I could never be a fisher of people. I could never be an apostle again. I had failed the biggest test of all time. And I had to figure out what was next for me. I love being an apostle. I, I enjoyed it so much, but I couldn't do that anymore. The only other thing I knew how to do was fish. So I told my friends, I'm going back to fishing. We took our boats and we went back to the Sea of Galilee and, and it would have, 
felt really good to do something that I was good at after failing so miserably. So we cast our net with expectation and, and there were no fish. And we began to talk about the experiences of that weekend and what it meant trying to put the pieces together and we cast our net again and, and there was no fish and the moon was, was bright, the, the sea was calm, the air was crisp and yet there was no fish. We cast our net over and over and over again unsuccessfully. As the dawn was coming, there was a man standing on the shore. We didn't recognize him. And he got her attention and he asked a question that really bothered me. Do you have any fish? Adding salt to the wound. We hadn't been able to catch all night and we said, no, we don't. And he said, cast your net on the other side. And I'm like, where did all these fishing experts come from? We've been fishing all night, hadn't caught anything, but something compelled us to do so. And we cast the net on the other side and, and this humongous catch of fish was there immediately. Once again, our boat began to sink and, and, and there was this deja vu moment. This was a miracle and it was John who first said, it is the Lord. And I said, of course, it's the risen Christ. So I put my tunic back on, I jumped into the water and I rushed to Jesus that was still guilt and shame in my life, but I so wanted to be with Jesus. I so missed the times with him. I got to the shore and there was this fire that Jesus had made and it had fish on it. And I thought it was interesting when he asked if we had fish, it wasn't because he needed fish. It's he wanted us to know that he's the one who provides, that he's the Lord of the catch. There was bread there and he invited us. He said, bring your fish, let's have breakfast together. I turned around to see what was taking my friends so long and they were struggling to bring the net and I realized I had left them behind. So I went and I helped them 153 humongous fish, the biggest catch ever. We put some on the grill. And Jesus took the bread and the fish and all kinds of flashbacks came through my mind. The time he felt the, fed the multitude. That last Passover meal with him. Each moment that we spent with him, all of those moments, the images, the experiences, the emotions went through my mind. And I was so thankful to be right there in that moment that after all my effort, after all my failure, it was good to just be in the presence of Jesus and rest in him. It was such a good morning. And then when we finished breakfast, Jesus turned to me. And he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And the only thing I could think about was that night where, when I said, if all of these guys leave you, I will not. And there was a sense of guilt. And I said, Jesus, you know that I love you, hesitantly. 
And Jesus asked me again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it started to hurt. I hadn't shown my love for Jesus when it really mattered, but I did love him. Didn't he know that? Jesus, do you know that I love you? And the third time, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And I began to think, he's calling me Simon, not Peter. I guess I've, 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 I've not earned a right to still be called the rock. Why is he asking me? Surely he knows. Maybe he's not looking for information. Maybe he's trying to convey something to me. I said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Care for my flock. And I understood. Three times he had asked me if I loved him. Three times he told me to feed his sheep. Three times I had denied him. For every time I denied him, he restored me. Jesus wanted me to know that although I had disowned him, he had not disowned me. Jesus wanted me to know as he reframed our relationship that my call to be a fisher of people did not depend on my performance but on his person. Jesus was communicating to me that my commission to serve him and to have purpose in my life did not depend on my perfection, but on his power to forgive me and to restore me. Feed my sheep. He was recommissioning me as his disciple, as his apostle, as a shepherd. And I understood what it meant for Jesus to be resurrected. It is a resurrected Jesus that can come and take a fisherman like me with all of my failures and restore me. He didn't ask me about my leadership skills. He didn't ask me about my theological knowledge. He didn't ask me to remember everything he had ever taught. He asked me, do you love me? And I understood that if I really, really love him with all my heart, he takes care of the rest. He's the Lord of the catch. He's the Lord of restoration. He's the Lord of hope. He's the Lord of forgiveness. He's the Lord of grace. He's the Lord of new beginnings. He's the Lord of new opportunities. He's the Lord of starting all over again. The first time that there was a miraculous catch, it ended by his invitation to follow him, and I did. The second time, the second miraculous catch, Jesus extended the invitation again, follow me. 
a lot happened in between those two. But what didn't change was his love for me and his call on my life. Now I know what's next. I have a grand purpose to live for him. Yes, I love him. Yes, I will follow him. Do you love him? Will you follow him?